0: By now, all of you know I'm a lover of music. A lot of different genres rolling around in my head. I'm one of those, I'm now one of those old people who are just absolutely convinced that the music of my youth is the best thing that ever happened, both in popular culture and in contemporary Christian music. And I will stand by that. In 1977, Don Francisco who is without a doubt one of my favorite, if not my most favorite, storytelling singer-songwriter in contemporary Christian music. Uh, Most of his songs tell a story. He released an incredibly powerful song, one of the most powerful I've ever heard, and I've never forgotten it, and it reaches down deep into my heart this very day, so please listen to this beautiful story he tells with his music. Unashamed and naked in a garden that had never seen the rain, rulers of a kingdom full of joy, never marred by any pain. The morning all around them seems to celebrate the life they've just begun, and in the majesty of innocence, the king and queen come walking in the sun, But the master of deception now begins with his dissection of the word. And with all his craft and subtlety, the serpent twists the simple truths they've heard. While hanging in the balance is a world that has been placed at their command. And all their unborn children die. As both of them bow down to Satan's hand. And just before the evening, in the cool of the day, they hear the voice of God as he is walking. And they can't abide his presence. So they try to hide away. But still they hear the sound as he is calling. Adam, Adam, where are you? In the stifling heat of summer now, the gardener and his wife are in the field. And it seems that thorns and thistles are the only crop his struggles ever yield. He eats his meals in sorrow till he sinks into the dust from whence he came. But all down through the ages, he can hear his maker calling out his name. Adam. Adam. Where are you? And though the curse has long been broken, Adam's sons are still the prisoners of their fears. Rushing helter skelter to destruction with their fingers in their ears. While the Father's voice is calling with an urgency I've never heard before, won't you come in from the darkness now before it's finally time to close the door? Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam, Adam, I love you. The reason this song has touched my soul so very much is the understanding with those words, Adam, where are you? The Almighty God was reaching out to fallen man. And he reaches out through the creatures, calling centuries, calling lost sinners and followers of the way who have lost their way. I have heard the voice of God calling me many times. Danny, where are you? Today, let's look at our text, where God's hand reaches out one last time to call his prophet home. Jonah 4, 6 through 11, would you stand? Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade over his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? May God bless His word and you may be seated. Folks, God had not given up on His fallen prophet. And the truth we need to know today, we need to understand Is that God reaches out to us when we go astray from his will. God reaches out to us just like he did to Jonah. Throughout the book actually. Well, how does God do it? We're going to look at truths that grow out of this text. And I need you to listen again. Both ears, your heart. Let God speak today clearly. Because the very first thing we learn from this text is that God sovereignly uses whatever means necessary to reach us. We need to recapture the word sovereign when it comes to our God. Maybe it's because we're in a country that talks so much about rights and we think everything is a, is a democracy or at least a democratic republic that we've lost sight. God is king. God is Lord. And we see something happen in this book that has happened already. God once again moved within nature to teach, to reach Jonah. He moved in nature again to reach him. Do you remember the word of God says in the first chapter that God appointed a storm to come upon the ship that Jonah was sailing to run away from God. And then we're told God provided, uh, appointed a fish to come and rescue Jonah. God is constantly appointing, and right here in this text, the, con- the scene continues. God is working behind the scenes within nature to get to this man. And the word says the Lord appointed a plant to grow overnight to give Jonah some comfort. Now, why did Jonah need comfort? He had built a lean-to, right? Well, we don't know how long Jonah had been sitting there. And the branches that he used for his makeshift lean-to have probably withered by now. And the Assyrian sun is hot. So God causes a plant to rise up. Now, the interesting thing about it, uh, just to show you how people like to get into arguments about the most trivial thing, to miss the point, Centuries ago, when Jerome was translating the Hebrew scriptures into Latin to form what would become known as the Vulgate, he changed a word in the Hebrew text that is often translated gourd to ivy. And when people found out in the city in which Jerome was working, they actually rioted in the streets because he called a gourd an ivy. Well, a lot of translations today make it very simple. They call it a plant. And Ivy uses ivy. The truth is, we don't know what kind of plant it is. The whole point, God used whatever He used. He sovereignly let this plant grow up overnight, and Jonah's response was very quick. We're told he was happy. And quite literally, it says, he rejoiced with an exceeding joy. In other words, He is deliriously happy now. He's been out in that sun and it's baking his head and God provides this nice leafy plant to give him shelter and Jonah is happy. The first time in the book, Jonah is described as happy and deliriously so. But God's not through. Because God again uses nature. God appointed a worm. Now, those of you who plant, and I am not a horticulturist. I've told you I can kill kill an air fern. I believe that. Uh, some might, might point to the cut worm. It can destroy a plant's root system very quickly. Again, we're not told what kind. But God appointed a, a worm to kill the roots of the plant. And the plant quickly dies. Now, that's bad enough. Jonah had head cover, and now he doesn't. But then, we're told, God appointed a wind to blow from the east. Uh, A hot wind. Uh, It has been identified most often as what is known as the region as the Siraco. A hot desert wind. Uh, Doug uh, Stewart points out, When the wind, this wind is experienced in the Near East, the temperature rises dramatically and the humidity drops quickly. It is a constant and extremely hot wind that contains fine dust particles. It contains constant hot air so full of positive ions it affects the levels of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters and it can cause exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and occasionally bizarre behavior. And so Jonah no longer has his cover. He is now dealing with the hot sun and this horrible wind. As I read about this horrible wind, I remember my year in West Texas and sandstorms that that were known to sandblast cars. And and he's angry. He's totally bit. He is exhausted. He is furious with God one more time. And he essentially says, God, kill me now because it's better that I die than I live. If only. If only Jonah, a prophet of God, could have been perspective. Look at this with the perspective of a man of God. He might have understood this is God. And he's making a way back from me. This passage indeed. The entire books points to one of the most important doctrines of God. That God is sovereign Lord. He is sovereign God. And the only limits. On God's sovereignty in this life. Are those he places within his nature. We must not fall for the idea that if I don't do what God calls me to do, I will thwart the plan of God and end it. Folks, I am convinced had Jonah refused to go, if Jonah had died in that storm, in utter rebellion, God would have raised up another prophet to do His will. If we are disobedient, if we refuse to follow the will of God, God will open the door, call someone who will obey. So if God chose this very day, we walk outside and you see your name in the sky in fiery letters, God telling you, telling me, Danny, return to me. He can do that if he wants. You see, the only limit put on God's sovereignty is His nature. He will not do things contrary to His own character. So He probably is not going to use fiery letters in the sky. More than likely, He will use His Word. You've known the Lord for a while. and The Word has a way of seeping into our lives, sometimes we're not even aware of it and all of a sudden in the midst of our rebellion in the midst of our sin all the passages of scripture that we've ever heard that about what we're doing start ringing in our ears and, and it's almost like an ear bug which is what they call a song that gets stuck there the words just keep coming and coming or perhaps he'll use a beloved friend to tell you that what you tell you what you need to hear that you would not listen to Coming from anybody else. And God has used that method a lot in my life. He may use a song. As he has done in my life many times. Through words of men like Don Francisco. And Keith Green. Uh, a song comes on. And, and I feel the convicting of the move of God. But I know this. Just as God came seeking out Adam and Eve. And just as God comes seeking out Jonah trying to get him to see the truth, if you, his child, should turn away from his purpose, folks, he's going to come reaching out to you. So what do we do when the still, small voice of God comes or the shouting, yelling voice of God comes? We need to be ready to heed heed God's call in our lives. We need to heed God's call. Folks, let's not try to hide like Adam and Eve did. Let's not try to run away like Jonah did. As painful as it may be, when we've gone out of the will of God and we have lost the sense of a closeness, as painful as it may be when God calls us to task, when God lets us know, you feel far away from me. Well, guess who moved? God reaches out to us in our failures, in our selfishness, in our rebellion. And when He does, it's His love calling us home. And that love that says, come back to me, gives birth to the next truth, this text. The fact that He has love and compassion and He's reaching out whatever means it takes to bring us back we next learn that God calls us to search our hearts when He reaches out to us. God calls us to search our hearts. God is telling us it's time you do a spiritual inventory, Danny. It's time you look at yourself the way you really are, not the way you show yourself to be to other people. You need to look at your heart. And God asks Jonah a question. It's essentially the same question he asked earlier. Are you right to want to die? Now here it's over a plant. And Jonah said, yes indeed. Earlier, are you right to want to die because I'm going to spare the Ninevites? Now the difference this time, Jonah actually answers God. Before, are you right to be angry because I'm showing grace to this people? Jonah doesn't say a word. This time, are you right? Jonah answers. And and essentially he's saying, yes, indeed, of course, certainly I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be so angry, I want death itself to come down upon me. So strike me down now. Now it's possible... Jonah's just speaking with hyperbole, you know, intended exaggeration. There's been more than one time in my life I've been angry enough or hurt enough that I've essentially said I just want to die. I remember thinking as a kid, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who did this. When I got punished... I wish I'd die. That would show them. Maybe that's what's going on with Jonah. Or maybe he actually means it. Billy K. Smith and Franklin Page asked a very, a very pertinent question. Well, What if Jonah had paused for just an instant? What if instead of blurting out, yes, I'm angry and I have a right and I want to die. What if he realized, I, I'm standing at a crossroads right now. God's trying to get me to pay attention. And so if he had told God, no, it's not right for me to be angry. No, it's not. It would have gone against his philosophy. It would have been inconsistent with what he said he believed, he would understand this is a completely, totally inappropriate reaction to this. And as painful that as would have been, Paige and Smith were saying, but he would have been on the road to recovery. For just a moment, he let the Spirit of God do his work in his life. And understand the only proper answer to that question was no. Again, Jonah simply could not see. And his frustration and his anger, folks, think about it for a moment. Jonah, Jonah right now is probably feeling like he's failed everything he's ever done. His prophecy isn't true. It hasn't happened. God has forsaken him over for, for a bunch of Ninevites. And he just couldn't see what God was trying to show him. You see, God asked Jonah, are you right? One more time again. Are you right in your anger? And Jonah doesn't hesitate. He doesn't let the Spirit speak. He refuses to hear. Yes, I have a right. But I believe that that was a moment in time, again, when God was asking Jonah, you need to take a look at your heart. You need to do an inventory. And folks, the reality is when the Spirit of God comes into our lives and is speaking to our ears, whether it is through the Word of God, through a friend, however He may do it, the convicting power of God's Spirit. Calls us to honestly assess our lives. Take a good long look at who you are. You see, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit can be can be very painful. It can be so painful; it's almost hard to even concede listening. Why? Because of well, folk's guilt? Particularly guilt when we really are guilty and God has called us. So not the false guilt we throw on ourselves. The guilt that God brings can bring a very harsh disquiet in our life. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a short story, The Telltale Heart, that I believe is probably one of the most powerful looks in the English language at the issue of guilt. It is guilt so powerful, so strong, it makes a man who's already gone mad tip completely over into complete insanity. His guilt. Folks, the Spirit of God doesn't come and convict us to make us go crazy. He doesn't come to convict us to make us lose hope and think that I'm a horrible, evil person. There's no hope for me in God's way. He comes... To us in whatever way he chooses to awaken us. To challenge us. To make us face ourselves. And when that moment comes. When I finally acknowledge that I have sinned against my father. I finally realize. And see my transgression for all that it is. Hope is born. Because when that finally happens, I can know that God has said that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John one nine. If I'm finally willing to say, here I am, I need your cleansing. You see, conviction instead of driving us away from God, is meant, as Warren Wearsby said, true conviction from the Spirit will move you closer to the Lord. Because I'll finally get to the place where I'm listening. And if I get there, and the conviction comes, we need to be ready to take a real look at ourselves before God. And again, that can be painful. When I, when I take aside the, the facade that I put on, you know, the, the happy, smiley face I want to show the world, and, and I and I actually admit what I am, it hurts. Many years ago, during a struggle with, with uh, my issues, I got hold of a book. And the title of the book was Help Lord, the Devil Wants Me Fat. And it was a Christian approach to weight loss. And the very first thing I read, the very first thing that I read, this guy says, you need to strip down naked and stand in front of a full-length mirror. I never read another page. I was not ready to do that. And it's interesting that the Word of God compares itself to a mirror in the book of James. And so, when we do not do what God has called us to do, we're like the man who looks in the mirror, walks away and forgot what he is. The Spirit of God is saying, take a long look, Danny. Take a long look into your heart. And the amazing thing about this, it's the only way to find a return to peace and joy when we're out of God's will. And we don't have to be afraid to get real with God. If we will remember one solid truth, then my fear of telling God I have failed begins to have less than a stranglehold on me. When I remember, God knows everything there is to know about me. And He loves me anyway. He loves me anyway. And I can honestly open him up open myself to his heart. So he is, he he comes as a sovereign God using whatever means necessary. He comes into our lives, moving within our hearts, drawing us to it by by saying, take a long look at yourself. And then our final truth that grows out of this long hard look is taking a long hard look at God as well. God reminds us of His great compassion to bring us home. He reminds us of the chesed, of the unending covenant love of His heart for His people for the purpose of saying, you need to come back. You see, when all of this is going down, our prophet Jonah, who is more like us than perhaps we will want to admit, Jonah has gotten so far away from God, he has experienced the grace of God. He has experienced this compassion, but he's unwilling to let other people experience the grace and compassion of God. Because it's all about me and what I want. I'm an Israelite. They're Gentile pagans. And God, again asks a question. You see, Jonah needed to hear God's reason for reaching out to Nineveh. God was calling him and Jonah desperately needed the message driven home. And so God does so through a living parable. The plant has grown, the plant has died, the wind has come. And it's all been to make a point. And God essentially tells Jonah, Jonah, you did not plant the vine. You did not water the vine. You did nothing for the vine. But when you die, when it died, you were acting like you were its creator. That this was something you brought to life out of your own hands and your own efforts. You sweated, you planted, you... Watered, you gave food, everything. You're acting like you had something to do with it. Can you really be that upset? You had it for one day, one night, and it's gone. Then he asked the question. He says, Those people down there, the Ninevites that you want me to destroy, the enemy of Israel, and so I am supposed to wipe them out. Those Ninevites, they're my creation. I formed them. I made them. Shouldn't I show a compassion on the people I created? Where over 120,000 of them don't even know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. Now, there are two possible understandings of what God means there. A very prominent one of days gone by, and there's still a lot of people who argue for it. They're saying, there are 120,000, over 120,000 children, little tiny ones, that you're wanting me to wipe out. But some have argued that maybe what God meant, over 120,000 people down there, who are completely and totally naive about my ways. They have no real understanding that I am a holy God, and they don't know the death and destruction of sin that they are living in. They haven't had the law. They haven't had the prophet. They've never had a chance to hear. Shouldn't I care about them? I created them. I made them. Now whatever interpretation is right, it points to this truth. God loves his creation of humanity. And he loves humanity enough to reach out to sinners. To reach out to people who have refused to hear him, who want nothing to do with him. And so, with that question, shouldn't I care about my creation? We reach the implication. God is telling his prophet, I'm reaching out to you, Jonah. Please understand my compassion. Please understand my grace. Jonah, please accept my purpose for the Ninevites. And I know it's hard for you. But accept that I could have compassion on them and know that I have compassion for you. And I'm reaching out to you. What about us? The reality of grace should awaken us to our need for surrender. Pure and simple. The reality of grace should awaken our need to yield ourselves to the will and purpose of God. Because every time God reaches out to restore a fallen brother or sister, it is a call for us to remember when he once reached out to us. Someone many, 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 many decades ago said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. And I've seen this truth so many times. Uh, There have been so many times that well-known evangelists, televangelists, or preachers have fallen, and I've watched it's almost like buzzards flying around when other preachers, uh, often of smaller congregations, maybe a little bit jealous of the the size of their fame, starts saying, oh, it's great. We finally got caught. It's wonderful. And every time it happens, folks, my heart rits because I know the world looks. And the world doesn't see a difference between those who have fallen and us. They think all of us are phonies. Instead, when God reaches and restores somebody, to remind me there was a time in my life God reached out to me. Every time God lifts someone up out of the mire, it, it serves to remind us, remind me there was a time I was hit deep in the muck of this world. And as the psalmist God says, God lift me out of the mire and placed me on the rock. And I am reminded I am a recipient of a grace I never deserve. I am a recipient of forgiveness that I had no right to claim. And every time God refuses to let his child go, he calls us to celebrate. You see, the father, Jesus said in one of his most famous parables, the father is waiting at the road For the day his son comes home, arms are opened and love is shared. My son, who was dead, is now alive. And the older brother, who represents the Pharisees and Sadducees and sadly sometimes us, why are you going to forgive that jerk? Why are you going to forgive that sinner? I have been faithful forever. And the moment I say that, I prove myself a liar. Because the truth is, I haven't been faithful forever.
1: And I have fallen.
0: And I have stumbled. And when God reaches out to someone and brings them home, He comes to us and says, Celebrate with me. Celebrate with me. Someone has come into the kingdom. Someone has found grace. Celebrate with me. My friends, we need to be ready to celebrate the gracious love of God. When the absolutely worst person in the community... I mean, the one everybody says is no good. He'll never amount to anything. He is just so full of anger and hate, all of a sudden we hear, he's got what? He got what? He got saved? Folks, we should be deliriously happy every time. One of God's lost. Find grace. So Let's shout for joy. When God reaches out to the lost and broken in this world. Let's celebrate a God who is slow to anger. Who is filled with compassion. Who relents from doing injury. Let's celebrate that God. For if he were not so, where would each of us be? If God were not a God of grace, where would we be? The book ends abruptly. And Jonah gives no answer. Talk about a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger that has lasted for centuries. Did Jonah repent or not? Some argue, yes, arguing that Jonah Jonah must have written the book and if he wrote the book, he must have understood and repented and so forth. Others say, no, he didn't repent. If he had repented, it would have said so. Folks, the reality is we just don't know. The book leaves it open-ended. And I believe the story of Jonah all along the way has been a cautionary tale For you and for me. This book is in the word of God. To to focus on the fact. His grace is open. To anyone he extends his grace to. And it's a warning. For the children of God. Not to try to play God. And decide who and who cannot. Jonah is written to let us know. He is not the hero we're supposed to copy. Just like Samson in the book of Judges, folks, he's not a great role model. We hear and we see. So let me put this as simply as gently as I can. If we find ourselves out of the will of God for whatever reason, we need to listen to the call of our Lord The call of our Father to return to His will. To to wake up and come home. We need God to restore us to a full fellowship when we have fallen astray. So I'm asking you today, if you are in the far country, and you may be hiding it really well from everybody, but if you're in the far country, will you rise up and come back to your Father who's waiting for you? Arms wide open. Open your heart to return right now. I pray the words of Bill and Gloria Gaither will become your heart today. I remember this song and I'm not nitpicking any of the theology of it because I want you to hear just the heart of it. I have returned to the God of my childhood to the same simple faith I once knew as a child. Like a prodigal son, I've longed for my loved ones. For the comforts of home that God I outgrew. I have returned to the God of my childhood, Bethlehem's babe, the prophet's Messiah. He's Jesus to me, eternal deity. Praise his name, I have returned. I have returned to the Yahweh of Judah. On my knees I did fall where the wall now stands. This lesson I've learned as I've worked my way homeward. The Savior of all is a comfort to man. I have returned to the father of Abraham, the shepherd of Moses, who called him the great I am. who's Jesus to me, eternal destiny, deity. I praise his name. I have returned. I ask you to bow your heads. And before God today, If you want to come to the altar, you are free to do so. But where you're at, look honestly at your heart. And if you cannot say, I'm not arrived, but I'm yielded to God. I'm wanting to follow him. I pray that you will open yourself. That you will hear the call of God. Come home.